Hi everyone, today we are talking about what exactly a technical director is, what are the skills involved and of course what it means to work for Pixar and how it might be different to most of us. I'm joined by Paul Kaniak, elite technical director at Pixar Animation Studio who was working there for the last 14 years and involved in one of my favorite movies of all time, Ratatouille. His impressive resume also includes Cars, Wally, Up, Brave and Finding Dory. Basically, I started reading that book, which was all about writing shaders, something I had never heard of. I always thought graphics was something where you'd paint or sculpt. But the idea of using code to describe how light interacts with materials and how texture is put on, it just seemed like sorcery and I really wanted to learn more. I'm your host, Alexander Richter, and welcome to the 21 Artist Show, where we talk about how to grow in today's media industry in animation and visual effects, including personal development. If you want to find more content, go on alexanderrichtertd.com, subscribe to my YouTube channel, podcast and email list, check out my mostly weekly blog and support me by spreading the word and let people know about this content. Enjoy the show. I would like to start, like kick it off with the first background question. Um, can you give us a brief history of your past days and how did you end up where you are now? Sure, I'll try to keep it brief, uh, but you know, I've been at Pixar for almost 15 years now, so it's a long story, but uh, let's uh, go back to middle school, played a lot of video games, uh, Final Fantasy VII really changed my life. I really wanted to make nerdy computer graphics images, so I kind of set on a path to <clears throat> try to learn these skills. I ended up uh, getting into the digital media design program at the University of Pennsylvania, where I thought I was going to do art. Despite the name, <clears throat> it's actually more of a computer science program. So I had to really go out of my way in college to find opportunities to do graphics, at least of the type I was interested in. And I actually got involved in the campus television station, UTV 13, where I became literally a technical director in the original meaning of the word. That is <laughs> someone who sits behind a monitor while a TV show is being shot and switches between cameras and presses buttons to add silly effects. So I did this for a little bit. That was not the job I was looking for. But one of the fortunate things about getting involved with the uh, campus television station is I got involved with a group of... Uh, students that wanted to make animated shorts, including a guy who was super influential in my life, Ray Forziati, who was a year older than me in my degree program. And he somehow knew about RenderMan, that is Pixar's rendering software. He was saying, hey man, if you want to get into this industry, read this book. And it was the book Advanced RenderMan, which I have in my office. Let me get it real quick. <laughs> So check out this book. Nobody should read this. This is very obsolete. This is from before the turn of the millennium. But uh, this is uh, by Tony Apodaca and Larry Gritz. Tony is still here at Pixar uh, in our theme parks division. Larry is now at Sony, uh, father of the open shading language uh, standard. But um, basically, I started reading that book, which was all about writing shaders, something I had never heard of. I always thought graphics was something where you'd paint or sculpt. But the idea of using code to describe how light interacts with materials and how texture is put on, it just seemed like sorcery. And I really wanted to learn more. So I got very into shading um, after reading this book. 
But unfortunately, um, when I applied for jobs, uh, this is now a sophomore in college, I got rejected from every internship I applied to, whether it's LucasArts or Pixar or ILM. Um, so instead, I got a job on campus. And I was uh, actually at the time doing a lot of psychology uh, coursework, and I was looking for jobs in the psych lab. And one of the jobs required C programming. I was like, ooh, this is kind of a nerdy psych job. And it described a little bit of knowing how light interacted with materials and physics. So I got the job and the professor was really interested in using computer graphics imagery to validate actual human uh, psychological uh, responses. Like, can you tell if the color of these spheres are the same in these lighting conditions, that kind of thing. So to be perfectly accurate, he didn't trust just RGB. This is Dr. Brainerd, by the way, in the uh, Penn uh, Color Science Lab. He didn't just trust RGB. He wanted 31 wavelengths he went from 400 nanometers to 700 nanometers. So it's like, no, 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 none of this RGB renders. I want 31 numbers per pixel. Can you give me uh, these images? And it's like, oh, this is my chance to use RenderMan and use all the code and funky stuff I saw in this book. So I actually wrote a MATLAB program that would read reflectance data from this car reflectance database I found on Cornell's website and write out a different uh, render man shader for each wavelength. So I'd render the image 31 times and then put it through his program to get the image we'd use in the experiments. So I got really into car paint because uh, that's actually one of the most well-studied materials out there with the most data online. And uh, fast forward a year, when I'm applying to Pixar's internship program, here I am, like, they're asking me about what I work on. I'm telling about this car paint project. Turns out that's when the movie Cars was in production. And the supervising technical director was really also into car paint. So we're talking about car paint for a long time and how it reacts to light and how Ford Mystique was my favorite car paint because it had a view-dependent color. It was green at facing angles, purple at grazing angles. And that pretty much got me the job as an intern. So um, it actually was working in a psych lab, uh, but that really got me uh, the opportunity. So I was very lucky, suffice to say. And uh, there's always a bit of luck to being able to break into this industry. Um, so yeah, once I got the job as an intern, I worked on the film Cars, worked uh, doing shading tools, as well as render optimization. Cars was the first uh, Pixar film where ray tracing was a big part of it, which is amazing in this day and age that that was even a big deal. You know, here we are talking about real-time ray tracing on the latest GPUs. And back then, the kind of stuff I was doing was like occlusion renders were so expensive. Could we bake our occlusion and reuse it as we tweak it because it was too expensive to compute very often? So that was the kind of stuff I was working on using uh, 3D data structures to store occlusion data so that uh, artists could reuse it from frame to frame. All technology that's woefully obsolete by now. But yeah, I got my start doing that. Um, went back to school, uh, but got a full-time job um, after that. So then I came back full-time. So I was interned for six months, went back to school, came back, and I was still working on cars. It takes that long to make a film. That's I didn't realize it at the time, but... Um, yeah, again, render optimization, but right around the end of Cars was when Ratatouille first realized they needed a lot of crowds in the film. And this is, uh, if you recall of the era, this is right around when Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King came out. 
So everyone was talking about massive. Everyone was talking about crowd simulation. And Pixar was one of the early animation studios to pick up massive for use in crowds. And of course, no one knew how it worked. And I was a, a new guy. So like, hey, how about you learn massive? So I was one of a few people that picked up the tool. And I on Rat, I got a chance to basically create brains for our rat agents that we would then put in uh, shots and do crowd simulations for. So for a number of years, I was doing uh, crowd brain design, which is a weird concept, but it's kind of like robotics, but for animated characters. And I did that for a number of years, but as often happens, any pipeline you create becomes obsolete in a few years. And as great as our crowd massive pipeline was, by the time we got to Brave, all of our animation software had changed. We moved from our old legacy marionette system to our modern Presto system, which pretty much completely wiped out the crowd pipeline. So then I started from scratch, basically working on a new crowd pipeline for the studio on Brave. That's been something we've been building over the years. We've since incorporated Houdini into the pipeline. We have now have a USD in the system. We've done path tracing. Well, the story is we are now rewriting the software again. So we've gone through many generations of software in the time. I've been mostly uh, working with crowd simulation. I've uh, gone from being an individual artist working on shots to leading teams. I led a crowd team on Brave. I supervised the crowd team on Finding Dory, Incredibles 2, and now Onwards. So it's my fourth time being a crowd supervisor. But one of my favorite things about the gig is after being a supervisor, I get to go back doing nerdy pipeline development. So there's always kind of a, um, you know, almost a rhythm or seasons uh, at Pixar where you get a chance to lead a team or work on shots, and then you get a chance to make the tools better after that and rethink the assumptions you made. So it's never the same twice. And yeah, it's a fun gig. Kids, that was the short version of Paul's history, by the way. Yeah, that was just off the top of my head. I, I focused a lot on the internship because I know that's what a lot of people are interested in, how to get in the door. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's amazing. No, no, it's it's. Uh, I sometimes have to think about the timeline while you talk. Like it's kind of like when you brought up a lot of the rings. I was kind of like, oh, 2099, something like that. Yeah, it was around uh, 2003 is when Return of the King came out. Uh, Ratatouille was 2006. So if you think about when we were making Ratatouille, we were all watching Lord of the Rings and we're going, oh my God, look at all that awesome stuff. Like one thing I always have, and I mean, we, we just kicking it off. It's like about technical directing and stuff like that. And you already described like a little bit like your career, you're, you're more focused in crowd. But one thing I personally always have is uh, I have this problem if I, if I go somewhere and I have to describe it to people who are not part of the industry. Like, you know, you go to a party, so one people like what you do. So what is your, what is your answer you normally bring in when you, uh, try to describe your job like what what would you what would you tell people who are not artists who are not 3d or something like that yeah so if i only have one word i choose animator you know that's not correct i know that's not correct <laughs> i'm not a character animator but at the end of the day i am making characters move i'm just doing so using technical tricks as opposed to keyframe animation. Actually, I will keyframe animate if I have to, I'm not great at it, but um, at the end of the day, I make characters move. Um, but that doesn't describe the big picture. Like we we're talking about, I spend way more time on pipeline than shot work and how do you describe pipeline to someone? So basically, if I have a little more chance to describe my job, 
I say I both create the tools that we use at Pixar to create crowds of characters, and I use the tools to create crowds of characters. So I'm both an engineer, you know, creating the tool set and an artist using the tool set. Um, that's one of the cool things I think about a technical director is that you're not exclusively in software engineering and you're not exclusively in shop production, you, depending on the studio, of course, but um, there's different uh, nuances. But in general, you have the ability to span the, the spectrum from tool creation to using the tools and doing art. Would it be the same way how you would describe like for yourself, like what you, what's your exactly responsibility in a project? If you would be like in a broad sense, of course, in this case, you know, like we're not talking about specific things, but if you would describe your role in a team. So these days, my role is more supervising. So uh, at the very beginning, first thing I do is watch the film, look at the storyboards and figure out how many crowd shots are there, how difficult they are and what's going to be the budget. So I, I start I start the process actually doing more of a um, you know a producer level role, but for crowds. And then once I've specified what the production needs, I also specify what technology needs to be created, uh, which both involves working with our software engineering department, but more often than not, is start working on it myself. So it's kind of funny. Like I put on one hat, I'm a producer. Take off that hat, I'm an engineer. <laughs> Take off that hat, I'm an artist. But um, Uh, fortunately, uh, it's not just me the entire time, you know, about a year out, uh, I start getting my first TD, first animator. And, uh, one of the things we have to do is figure out, all right, with a single animator, what are the most useful animation clips that are going to be useful for the crowd scene? You know, if you're working on Ratatouille, that's going to be a running rat. You're going to want rat runs. Um, if it's a finding Dory, you're going to want fish swimming, you know, so sort of create your key locomotion clips. But then you start adding specificity on top of that. We also go shopping for animation from old shows to see if, uh, hey, we've done walking pedestrians before. Maybe we can try to dig some of that up. Of course, technology changes. We got to do a lot of work to bring it over. Um, so, you know, early on, we do that sort of pre-production, you know, do your general reusable animation, your main crowd's technology. And then as uh, shop production ramps up, Uh, our first client is layout. Our layout department, which is essentially previs in a feature film animation, needs some representation of the crowds. So we work with them just to find out how detailed or not detailed they want to go. Uh, a lot of films these days, I've been doing traffic. You know, so many uh, scenes, like you think about Incredibles 2, uh, Helen on the motorcycle weaving between traffic, finding Dory, that shot going on roads. I feel like I'm doing a lot of cars these days. And that's something that layout needs an accurate representation to actually shoot around. So we work with layout to do crowd choreography. And then as soon as it's done in layout, then we have to hit our rough animation sequence blocking. So then we start working that. And then it goes down further and further. At peak, we probably have about usually five technical directors on the crowd's tech side, and about 10 animators um, at peak. But for most of the time, it's uh, me on tech and a, a single crowd's animation suit, and then it ramps up and down from there. Okay, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting definition because I always say, like, if someone asks me, uh, like, in professional sense, I always say it's kind of like uh, I make things easier and I make things possible. And this is kind of the 
pipeline tool aspect uh, and the second part is then always the development aspect like where you kind of create something out of nothing either it's just easier because it's for example there there are maybe some crowd simulation but you can create a tool which is not which is less better performant or uh, you create something that's not even existing and something like that so this is also like so i i think like you 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 align with a lot of what what i how I define that that position in a lot of sense, kind of like it's also like multiple hats. It's not like just your your technical director and your your thing is one one thing at all, and that's it, kind of. Mm. So yeah, actually, along those lines of tool creation, at least the crowd pipeline at Pixar, we design it such that um, layout artists and animators can use it, in particular layout artists. So like they are kind of our first client of the show, and there's a whole lot of work it takes to get a show up and running so that a layout artist has a very easy experience and could you know do whatever they want. Um, so there's definitely like a huge trade-off. We spend a lot of effort to make the pipeline robust enough so that a layout artist doesn't even know how complicated it is. Um, but it's also a trade-off. Uh, there's only a few specialists at the studio who know how to um, set up the crowd pipeline. And now that, um, you know, uh, USD is open source. Other studios want to do crowds the same way we're doing. And we're like, oh, no, no, it's really hard to set up. So it's actually making us rethink how complicated it is. So it's we think it's in a good space right now for us, but we want to make it better now that we're uh, more and more of the community is going open source. I would be interesting uh, for me is like uh, and I think also for someone who is like trying to understand this position besides the definition is like, can you sum up like like a day can you break down mm. a day maybe maybe less of the supervising part more of the like traditional technical directing uh, day which you had maybe in the past or have still now or you can a little bit describe of if you ca can break it up in like eight hours or what would be the typical uh, like steps you will you will go through the day and what would be the typical responsibilities you have so someone who's like oh uh, i want to understand this position is like what is this involved is it scripting is it uh, meeting is it whatever you know so this is like the the question here. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I think um, one of the great things about the job is no two days are the same, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of a day. Um, I often find the rhythm of the day is dictated by the render farm. So the evening, the render farm is packed with all the images we're computing. Come the morning, everyone sees their work and there's gonna be problems. So every morning, a bunch of emails go out why do all my crowds have white hair? You know, why is this render out of memory? You know, um, why is the set in front of camera? Where did the prop go that I added last night? And so I feel like the morning is a little bit of triage for what went wrong last night. Um, I've gotten pretty good at triage, but I think that's common for any TD anywhere is a little bit of triage. Uh, one of the great things about a good source control and check-in, check-out publish system is there's usually a paper trail. And specifically when I work with animators, I'm like, oh my God, I added this. I'm like, all right, let's look in, uh, we use Perforce for source control. I look in the Perforce logs like, well, you know, it was out of camera. So the auto pruning system removed it. You know, you got to move it into camera other, within the day. Otherwise it gets pruned by the next day. You know, something like that will happen. So there's early morning triage. Um, the other thing I always do is look at, we have a, 
a database system we call Traction for tracking fixes and shot work. Shotgun is the common one used in industry. We have a version called Traction. So I'll look at my Traction slash Shotgun and see what fixes are assigned to me. And then, oh, I marked this ready. That means I had kicked a render off. I'll look at my renders and close any fixes. So I usually try to get the database you know, up and running. But very soon, like I always, I feel like morning brains are the best. I usually try to do a bit of coding in the morning of some sort. Whatever project I've been thinking about, I want to try to like, you know, get ahead of that such that before lunchtime, I've done at least some coding. Um, let's say I'm creating a, um, uh, like a tool to, I don't know, make some job and layout easier. You know, I'll try to get that done. And then if there's anything I'm waiting on someone else's feedback for, I want to get the emails out to make sure that they're commenting on the job. I get lunch and send a render before lunch because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to take a lunch break without the machines working for you. So <laughs> get, get a render on the farm, testing something, come back from lunch. And then um, one thing I try to do is uh, stop by other folks' office. You know, one of the great things about Pixar is we're all in the same building. You know, it's not a very fragmented outsource studio. So if someone's having a problem or someone on my team, I'm not sure where they're at, I do like to make my rounds. So, you know, after lunch, I'll drop by people's office, see, hey, how you doing, you know? Um, and usually I find out a lot by talking to people that just didn't make it into the email. Yeah. And the average day will have probably had at least one meeting by this point, sometimes two, you know, depending on the day. Um, that helps break it up. Um, you know, I find some of the worst, um, you know, repetitive stress injury I've ever gotten is when I've had no meetings and all desk time. So I actually appreciate a couple of meetings during the day to, to break things up. Um, and, you know, so, you know, let's say I did fixes, checked on, checked on renders. I mean, I would say more often than not, what I do is Python work, you know, uh, when I'm, when I'm doing a technical, uh, development, but when I'm doing shot work, ideally I'm not doing any coding early on. I used to think I can do a script for everything, but as I've, uh, gotten more experience in the industry, I try to stick to what the tools can do already until I have to deviate. I'm not trying to prove anything by saying, oh, I can create a script to do that. No, no, no. Ideally, there's as little infrastructure and pipeline as possible. So I think on a good day, I actually do zero coding, you know, but that's most days are not good days. So I, I, I do a lot of coding, a lot of programming, a lot of scripting, a lot of debugging. Uh, but I think uh, the goal is to have it such that this isn't really required. You know, the system just works. But um, so that, that was a very vague hand wavy description of the day. But um, suffice to say, before the end of the day, I get more renders on the farm. <laughs> for example, you, you mentioned coding, Python and stuff like that. So for you, this is uh, like part of your job. Yeah. So like it, it happens in um, this uh, like a rhythm to it. Like when I'm in pre-production, let's say, you know, I'll just use a practical example on Incredibles 2. Um, this is one of the first films where for the crowds department, we were using uh, motion capture to try to do some crowd animation. We had done it on Coco. We're trying uh, it on Incredibles 2. And there are super big problems with that pipeline. Um, we were only really seeing a skeleton on a grid when doing the capture. Then we'd try putting it on a character. I'm like, oh, that looks awful. If we had known what it looked like on our character, you know, um, we wouldn't have uh, spent all this time. 
And one of the tricky things is our proprietary animation software doesn't just work with off-the-shelf uh, mocap tools. So what we had to do is create some infrastructure to allow that streaming Vicon data to play back on real time on one of our rigs with accurate retargeting at capture time, not as a post-process. We called it the fast mocap stand-in. So I'm like, you want to know what? I'm going to dig into this. So part of it was literally just like rigging, you know, creating the necessary, you know, prims and connections to make sure the transform data was uh, going to the correct thing. And then sure enough, part A didn't fit into part B, part B didn't fit into part C. So I was like, all right, now I need to create a snippet of Python that goes in here. And let me just do as things as fastly as possible to get to make sure that this even works. So basically a proof of concept. So what I'll do is spend some time to make sure I'm not wasting my time to get to that fast proof of concept. Like, aha, all right, I've connected the dots. Then I've shown that it's working. We do a capture session, it's good. And I was like, all right, that was great, but this is a one-off hack for one character. How do we now generalize this? And I feel like that's a good time where I can start delegating and splitting up the task. Cause all right, now that I know that this is a valid direction, we can have our intern work on generalizing this portion and this person, maybe he can move that from Python to C++ so that it could run faster. So then I can kind of split it up better. But uh, for, for my personal role, um, I tend to try to do the prototyping to make sure that we're going in a good place and then we can uh, generalize. So. Um, yeah, so that fast mocap stand, and you know, that, that was a couple weeks of work. Uh, there's some ugly matrix math to how to figure out how to unscramble the matrices coming out of Icon on one rig and then get onto our rig. And, uh, you know, a lot of debugging involved when a matrix is wrong, like your character's just like some contorted mess. So you have to sort of like uncontort it to get the, the pieces fitting. And now you know what to do, then you can generalize it for more characters. So that's an example of a sort of TD project that I did. But then later on, I'm also helping supervise the mocap shoots, deciding what to capture and also automate that process. A lot of what we're doing is taking something that could be done by hand and just making you not suffer through the tedium. <laughs> like if it, a lot of times, if the question comes up, like, man, can a machine do this? If you have that question, the answer is probably yes. And that's where you need a TD. To, help the machines do it for you. I, I think this was a really good sentence. And I think this is also the, the reason why I chose to be a TD. It's kind of like, I kind of hated the repetition. And I kind of, even, even if it's not about programming or scripting itself, it's sometimes just to find a better solution is, is sometimes worth the while, you know, like having this technical mind where you basically search for a better workflow, even, even if it's not involved in Python. I think this is also one of the driving factors uh, I, I hear from you and also from me. It's, uh, and I, I, I did get, get the, this question a lot. Like, uh, do I have to know scripting? I, I always say yes. Uh, I never, I would never say you have to be like a C++ uh, crazy developer creating big software, but your reality and my reality basically prove that like you have to know Python. It's important to a, to a base where you can do like prototyping, like you can do your, uh, your scripts that uh, automate processes. I think this is the, the baseline. And from that on, you can always go higher. You can always 
go to the pipeline direction where you distribute modules and create classes and stuff like that. But this is like, I think this is like the best example of, of your reality is exactly like mine. By the way, the, the one where you where you were kind of supervising mocap sounds very like the original definition of what we had yeah, right. of what is a technical director. So you kind of drift in into that yeah. here and there, I would say. Well, one fun thing I find about crowds is uh, just talking to my friends elsewhere in the industry, there's a lot of overlap with virtual production, you know, because we know how to use capture stages, because we're good about get about how to get animation on all forms of characters. We tend to then get involved in previs and virtual production where people want to try to scout out the set with iPads and such. So um, I, I've noticed this as well throughout the industry. So yeah, that's another hat we wear sometimes in crowds. And uh, yeah, it does kind of get back to the original definition. I feel like that's the closest I get to live action is anytime we're doing virtual production stuff. It's like, whoa, it's, it's like filmmaking. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, or like live film. It's a more of a performance, you know, when you, when you go that direction, it's kind of interesting. True. Like one thing you noted, uh, you just you just uh, said before. Uh, I, I noticed myself is also being able to kind of determine uh, the complexity, determine the the path, which way to go. For example, uh, you kind of said like you do prototyping to find out solution, but you sometimes stick to the pipeline. You sometimes don't even go into the way that you start off writing a script. You just try to find. That's how it, how it sounds like to find a way of let's say rename something and then it works pipeline record and you don't have to kind of write a Python script for that. And I noticed this mm. is also like a skill um, I had to pick up because a lot of time people like rely on scripting mm -hmm. or rely on batching everything. And it's sometimes more about uh, to, to balance out is when when do we need scripting and when when is it sometimes just like rethink the way we approach that? Mm. And we're back. This is, yeah, this is, this is the Sony cameras, by the way, for everyone who knows. It's like the, yeah, have this 30 minutes incredible uh, go off hack. Yeah, you have to, to hack them to make them work longer. So, nice. <laughs> So yeah, I, th I think this is like the thing. I, I try, I try. That's that's why I'm, I try to just uh, to, to distinguish exactly the the attributes uh, through through your stories and through what what you describe and through your day to give someone a hint of what is expected, kind of. You know, what what uh, skills do you have to pick up, like actively, like scripting, for example. And again, we both don't say it's it's like. Uh, like 90, 100% of your day or something. That's not what we say here. But you have to have at least like, it could happen 30%, 50% sometimes, depends on the day, kind of. And it's it doesn't have to be the greatest academic, everything has to be perfect scripting, but it has to be this kind of, it gets things done. Well, it's, Fortunately, I had an experience recently to um, help out at Disney Animation uh, since they're adopting a USD, um, as many studios are these days. And um, going down there, I was so out of my element. Nothing worked the same. Their pipeline is completely different. And it kind of just made, reminded me that I think one of the main skills of a TD is to be in a pipeline and software environment where you don't know how anything works figure out how things work and then fix problems and add new features, uh, which is a hard thing to prepare for. Uh, but 
you know, it's just, I feel like the buck stops with the TD, you know, you, you know, you got to figure out why things aren't working or how to get things done. So you just got to be uncomfortable in that unknown, strange software environment, just figure out how to, you know, measure what's happening, fix it, automate it, et cetera. So I'm not sure I would know how to recommend how to build that skill per se, but uh, I think um, just solving problems on your own and making cool art with technical means, you know, it's sort of what we do. And you'll, you're inevitably going to run into these problems. So anyway, it was very humbling to go down to Disney and start at zero and figure out how their interesting pipeline works. And it's amazing, but totally different. So... <laughs> Yeah, try to to pin down the the whole the whole technical directing thing. I think it's uh, it's we definitely get a lot from what's needed. Um, since we since we were were talking that about that already, since you you mentioned your supervising a leadership role, uh, I would like to 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 go just a little bit to, to that because it also involves being a technical director. Often, even if you're not a lead, it has this kind of um, you're supporting other people, but also in a way that you decide kind of you know even like you sometimes have to decide for them how you want to do that, what they ask from of you, and if you want to do it, if it makes even sense or if it's maybe bunkers kind of way so I, I'm, I'm interested in in the, the way you approach kind of this leadership uh thing where you kind or like support ship like whatever you want to call it is where where you sit there and, and have to decide for other people and how you manage this to be balanced in a way well my approach to um sort of interacting both with my team as well as other departments is I try to be a nice guy in general. You know, I want to make sure that everyone understands that we're on the same side. You know, if they're running into a technical issue, you know, I'm the good cop. When I roll with my animation soup, he or she is the bad cop. So we can like kind of do a good cop, bad cop thing. But uh, but in general, my approach tends to be one of sympathy and being nice and trying to figure out what the other person needs, not necessarily how it should be done. Like sometimes someone from another department will say, I want this tool to be able to do that. And it might be something kind of ridiculous. What I try to actually understand is why they're making that request, what they're getting at. Half the time, once I find out the why of the situation, we could find an easier approach that is uh, better for them and easier on our department to implement. So I think I always try to A, be nice, and B, understand the why of the situation in any meeting. And they're often right in what they want, but I always want to understand why. But but how how did you how do you balance like between uh, w what you need to do and what you need to get out of this kind of like situation and being nice? You know how did you did you stay on course? And because it, in a way that's the thing. Like you know uh, you have the background of artistic and technology a lot of times, which uh, if you for example talk to an artist, he doesn't and he sometimes don't understand or and he wants it a specific way. So how how do you balance this kind of art being nice and be get to so somewhere kind of you know yeah i mean it can be challenging you know sometimes uh, people get especially when software is crashing on them they tend not to be in the best of moods but um you know i find that's why coming over to people's office can help you know being in a, in a meeting room sometimes there can be a lot of pressure to stand your ground but when you're one-on-one -on -one in someone's office you're on the same team and i often try to just with them work out the problem And actually, often I get just as frustrated as they am. Like, why the hell 
was it crashing? What, what was going on here? All right, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And they're actually encouraged by the interactive debugging because ultimately I can't stand when people are stuck and can't move forward or losing hours. I feel like, ah, oh, we, we got to fix this. We got to get around. So I'm often on the same page as them. We're on the same team. But meetings can sometimes be a tricky place if the room is big to make requests. But one-on-one -on -one, you know, interaction sessions, I find, can be a, a little more effective. And again, we're all in the same building. Zach makes Pixar, you know, an effective place for this kind of strategy. <laughs> Sounds also like like the, the perfect moment for uh, whatever funny hustle story you have. If you, if you want to tell something, because it's always interesting to, to hear, like even even like companies like Pixar or, or you yourself after 14 years, uh, you collect so many stuff happening to you. So do you have something interesting you want to tell us? Yeah. So yeah, one, one funny anecdote about um, when things go wrong as a technical director is as an intern, again, I alluded to that baked occlusion pipeline where I had a tool where you could uh, bake your ambient occlusion so it can be reused in the next render. One of the processes was to clean up the old file. My silly Mel UI remembered the old file by having some file on disk that kept track of all your occlusion files that would be read in, be passed as an argument to rm-rf, basically a force remove function on Linux. If that file happened to be empty, it would do rm-rf slash, basically wipe your hard drive. And one time I clicked the button, I'm just like, oh man, this is taking a while. What's up with the cleanup script? And all of a sudden the windowing system starts freaking out and I can't log back into my machine. I'm like, how bad did this go? Did this just wipe my local files or did this go further? And I had to, sh thankfully, it was only limited to my machine and systems was able to restore it. But that was, that was an embarrassment. Like never, like if you ever do RM-RF, be super careful to measure what you're removing. That is a classic rookie mistake. And uh, yeah, so that happened to me. And I have more stories, but I feel like that's one that everyone can relate to potentially. And just keep that in mind. When you're removing files, double check what you're removing. True, happened to me too. On my first internship, uh, I deleted stuff. And so I get, I, I, the first moment when you start to tell the story, I was wondering like, are you the Toy Story 2 mm -hmm. guy from Creativity Inc? And I was like. <laughs> but it could have been. Let's say if the order of the directory, of the order of the Linux mounts was different, it might've started at the global, but it just happened to start local. So it destroyed my OS before I got to the, you know, the uh, show data. Yeah, I mean, and you can never control it. And that's the, ne the, the negative part of being like a TD. It's kind of, you have so much power. You can basically uh, create a whole project in one click, which takes like half an hour and then everything is there, copied, ported, whatever. But in the same way, you do one mistake, uh, it wipes uh, whole shots, scenes, episodes <laughs> away. So I think this is also a thing, uh, I, I think everyone learns after falling on their noses is kind of like, stay cool. Like I, I had the situation where I was freaking out first time, but now it's kind of, uh, the episode is deleted, let's have a look. Yeah, no, it's true. You, you definitely become like the, the surgeon that doesn't freak out when like all these catastrophes are happening. You know, like a files being removed, data loss, you know, it's all part of a day's work. You just gotta, you know, show up at the scene of the crime and just start uh, figuring out the evidence of what happened. <laughs>
True. Um, I want to wrap, wrap this up um, with the last question. I think the question which is like interesting for for most people, not even to your technical director, is like, I mean, we heard your story about how you you came up to to be a t uh, to be there at Pixar. Uh, it's it's probably a little bit different now after after 14 years a lot of things changed you, you can i mean you can read that in creativity inc how the company de developed and rebranded itself so but but today like if you if you see uh, around you your colleagues even especially the new ones like what what are the things which you would like to advise um Probably even in technical directing sense, sure, um, for someone who wants to apply for, for Pixar and you will say, these are the skills or the mentality or the way uh, I would like to work with you. Well, that's a big question, but I'll tackle it in a hopefully concise matter. We're a company with a lot of nerdy and artsy people. Just be yourself, be nerdy, be artsy, be passionate about what you do. You know, um, It's a very comfortable company to be yourself and be a nerd, you know, I find. Um, you don't have to be something you aren't, you know, when you apply. Um, you know, one of the things that keeps my job interesting is that the what I do day to day changes year after year, which means don't get too tied to whatever software you're learning to try to do your job because that's going to change. It's going to be different. What's more important is the skills and the experience you bring. So, um, yeah, don't obsess like, oh, I need to know RenderMan and I need to know Maya and I need to know, you know, all, all this stuff. And no, be good at what you do. Be passionate about what you do and understand that there's a lot of chance involved. So I encourage everyone to apply. But, you know, it's it's a <laughs> it's a big industry. One thing I would recommend for TDs in particular, though, I'm going to plug our open source USD initiative. We're. We've been using this for years, but I'm finding it is going gangbusters. So many studios are picking it up and in the process of redeveloping their pipeline around USD. So even though I just said, don't worry about specific software, if I would pick something to learn that is uh, not necessarily well understood, I'd say uh, try to try to get on that uh, USD GitHub repro, get it built on your system and see if you can start hacking around with it. Uh, because that is definitely something that uh, at least at this moment in time, is uh is starting to get uh, picked up so that's my little tip <laughs> yeah i i tried to use that three years ago on my research it didn't end up well but it it's better now it, try it again it, <laughs> exactly it was in the alpha stage it i, I mean you were you were my, my examiner in uh, on, on yeah, the film academy that. and it was not usd in the end it was dynamic microstructure because uh, in the alpha stage i couldn't use it but i hear a lot of good things about now and i mean it was like it's a mega potential and i think everyone wants to bite a little bit from this apple now and so yeah it's a it's a good tip i think it's a it's a great one um th paul thank you very much for taking so much time um and being here and i can by the way i can see in your background the individualism uh, you described of everyone oh yeah there's metallica and sepultura you can see actually i'm going to rotate my camera a little bit so you can see iron maiden lion guardian and final fantasy three on my poster I'm rotating my personal camera. You're not seeing that. But anyway, yeah, that's this is what I'm not. My wife doesn't allow me to have at home. It's in my office. So.
that's why like uh so um yeah definitely thank you very much i hope like everyone who was listening uh had a better understanding like now what is technical director maybe we will we'll, people will ask us less silly questions and they will say like oh yeah guys we know exactly because we hear this podcast video or whatever and uh yeah and i, I think i hope you, you get, we could share a little bit light into this position maybe even like in the highest profession as you work like for 14 years on id and also show a little bit that it's 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 kind of changing you kind of fall from one side to another and you have to adapt yourself to whatever is happening and uh, enjoy the ride a little bit and you never know what happened in the end you know like you never know it will be you suddenly uh, work there and uh, like one year later you in a completely different direction where you wanted to be in originally so i think this is a lot of things we can get through for what you told us Awesome, man. Well, it was great chatting. I see our Skype connection is getting poor, so this is probably a good time to <laughs> call it a day. But it was great chatting with you, man. Cool. Thank you very much. If you want to find more content, go on alexanderrichtertd.com, subscribe to my YouTube channel, podcast, and email list. Check out my mostly weekly blog and support me by spreading the word and let people know about this content. 